0: Hello and welcome to the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast. I am Amanda McCrossin here with two of my favorite people from Wine Access. One, of course, you've already met on this show, Miss Vanessa Conlin. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great. Very excited about our guest and the wines today.
0: Yes, me too. <laughs> I, You know, we've been so super excited about, um, about this shipment. So yes. this is an especially fun episode. And I before I introduce our second guest, I just want to point out that this episode actually was the result of a suggestion that someone made via our Instagram. And I'm so grateful for all of those suggestions that come in. So thank you for sending them in because it really does help us figure out what you guys want to learn about. So if there are topics that are interesting for you, shoot us a DM, put them in the comments, however you want to make that happen, you should do it. We are talking about how to assess wine like a pro, and who better to join us to do so than Mr. Sir Lucero, a Krug Cup recipient, a master sommelier. He is on the wine team at Wine Access. He's worked at the best restaurants in the world, and he's joining us today to talk about how we actually assess wine for our job, which is drinking wine. What's up, sir?
2: Hey, Amanda. Hi, Vanessa. Thanks for the Hi. nice introduction. I'm excited. We have two fantastic wines today. So that's always yeah. fun to start out 10 a.m. in the morning, start drinking some wine and get paid for it. Gotta love
0: that. Uh, pretty normal time for us to be assessing wine, professionally at least. So uh, yeah. Vanessa's a master of wine, sir, is a master sommelier. So both have incredible pedigrees and have been through these very grueling tasting exams. So, uh, and then of course, I, I went through the, the court master summaries as well. So I'm familiar with what's called the grid. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, if you like don't know the, way the grid. you state
2: that. That's great. The grid. <laughs> the grid.
0: <laughs> the grid. Uh, you ask any somebody about the grid and they're like, oh, the grid. But we will talk about that today. And if you want to kind of taste along with this, I encourage you to look at said grid. There'll be a link in the description so you can kind of follow along. But I think, One of the things I want to start with is, you know, why we're actually doing this aside from the fact that someone requested it. You guys know what it's like to taste wine professionally now, but you also know what it's like to have never tasted wine professionally and to kind of go from A to B at least for me, really helped me to understand wine, not only as a professional, but also as a consumer, how to better assess things. Elizabeth Schneider from the Wine for Normal People podcast, she has a great quote, the more you know about wine, usually the less you spend and the better stuff you get. So even if you don't want to go the professional route, learning how to properly or professionally taste wine is always a great skill to have. Do you guys feel the same way?
1: I do, and I feel like even if um, you know you're not going a professional route, I think it just helps you really understand what you like, and also how to mm. then describe what you want. Let's say if you're in a retail store or you're at a you know a restaurant and you're talking to the sommelier, I think it helps you really communicate what what you like and don't like about wine.
0: Absolutely, Sarah, you feel the same.
2: When you use the same approach to kind of like looking at a wine each time, irrespective of, of which wine you're tasting, do you actually? really begin to start making connections between the different wines and these aha moments kind of come in. And all of those aha moments when you all of a sudden learn something for the first time are so exciting. I actually, I'm a little envious of, of beginners that begin tasting. And as much as I loved developing my palate, you know, I kind of miss those aha moments because they used to happen all the time. And now they're kind of few and far between and, but luckily all the wine is still delicious.
0: Let's talk about what's going on in the world of cultural wine events. Starting with, in our own backyard of Napa Valley, the Tocolon Vineyard has officially achieved organic certification. Did you guys hear about this? Oh, no, did. I didn't. Very wow. exciting stuff. Yeah. So Constellation Brand celebrates organic certification. I think it's important to note but there are, how would we phrase this at this point? How many different sides of Tokelon Vineyard are there? <laughs> I mean, we've got the, the Beckstuffer side. We've got the Constellation side, which is, of course, part of the Mondavi. And then yep. you've got a few other parcels like McDonald that are unofficially, that are officially Tokolan, but not legally allowed to call it Tokelon. So it's a little bit complicated. So for the purposes of this conversation, where we're talking about being certified organic is the Constellation side, which is the Robert Mondavi side. It's a huge step in the right direction. I'm really excited to see this. I mean, obviously, we've seen a ton of vineyards in Napa Valley and around California go organic. But what do you guys think for in- industry at large, and especially for California, what this means?
1: I think what's really great about this is the, the name recognition of Tokelon Vineyard, I think, goes yeah. a long way. I mean, I think most consumers who or collecting Napa Valley, or have visited Napa Valley, at least have heard this, and they understand what an important and iconic vineyard this is. So I think it's great, and I, I really hope this inspires not just other vintners in Napa Valley, but vintners, you know, around the world to to follow suit.
2: I think when people realize how much the investment is to actually have a piece of land and a piece of vineyard here uh, in this valley they want to protect it they want to make sure that it's lively and that there's this kind of permaculture this this biodiversity and and that the that the land is is as healthy as possible so it makes sense and i'm really glad to see it happen yes
1: yeah, so you reminded me i think it's important to state too that it's not easy to become certified organic mm-hmm. you know it takes you know multiple years of sort of showing all of your records everything that you've ever done it's very expensive in a good way it forces you to stay On track, right? Because you, you don't have these options of, let's say like, you know, you're worried about mildew and then you're just going to go spray a bunch of, of, you, you, you can't do that. You know, you have to like approach the vineyard. Like it's this like living thing and you're constantly taking care of it rather than kind of going in after the fact and try, trying to like put a bandaid on.
2: It's for sure a commitment. And I, I know that, you know, with as large as Tokelon is, there's some really, 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 truly amazing parts of it. There's other parts where, you know, you're driving by in the middle of the rainy season, like right now, and you kind of see puddles in the vineyard where there's actually going to be a little bit more water retention. You know that farming in those sections of the vineyards is going to be quite a bit more difficult.
0: You mentioned the the puddles sir. I was talking to a few vintners because of all this rain that we're having in, in January. You know, normal to have rain this time of year, but this has been quite a bit across the state of California. And a few of the Vintners have been talking about the fact that their farming practices have really helped them in these intense, intense rainfalls with actual absorption into the soil, right? So the fact that, you know, I think even more than organic, we're talking about regenerative agriculture. You mentioned permaculture earlier. You know, these farmers that are really being conscious about their land, not only because it improves the quality of the grapes, but also just agriculture at large. You're, you're helping to work with mother nature instead of against mother nature. Well done, and Vineyard. Congratulations. Very exciting. Other big news in the champagne world. Vanessa, you're a champagne lover. Sir, I assume you're a champagne lover as well.
2: I do love champagne. Yeah, I don't drink I as much of it as I usually want to, but I do like champagne quite a bit.
0: We've all heard of LVMH, of course. Uh, there's another very big family making massive acquisitions in the wine world, and that is the Pinot family. Uh, they're Artemis Group. So you might be, if you're in the fashion world or you know fashion, you might know the, Ar- the Pinot family owns some very big fashion houses like Gucci and Alexander McQueen. You might also know that the patriarch of that family, his... Daughter-in-law is Salma Hayek. But they're also adding a few new brands, uh, in particular Champagne Jacassonne to their portfolio. So they already own Champagne Mator, wow. Isley Vineyard, yep. And now they've added Jacassonne to their portfolio. Very interesting move.
1: They're just adding jewels to their crown. You know, you look at that list, you're talking some of the top wineries in those regions. So, I mean, I think, yeah, they're, they're going hard into the luxury space and making the right moves. And the most surprising thing to me when I read this was I didn't know about the Salma Hayek connection.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You two are so much more in the know than I am. I'm like, wow, Salma Hayek. I'm like, okay.
0: Last thing I want to talk about, Vanessa, I think you're probably as obsessed with skincare as I am. Is that yes. a safe, safe assumption, sir? I don't it's know safe. where do you st- where do you stand on skincare.
2: I think I wash my car with the same soap that I use on my face, so <laughs> okay. I think we're good.
0: Drinking a glass of organic red wine every day can give you clearer, younger looking skin. Did you know this, Vanessa?
1: I didn't, but uh, it makes a lot of sense uh, in retrospect. Yes, so because. <laughs> I- <laughs>
0: According to Drinks Business, uh, and this is this is an interesting article. Not in a sense, there's a lot of like interesting nuggets, but like it, it's clear that this is sort of a plug for Brad Pitt's latest project, yes. which is a skincare product project. And says research shows that drinking a glass of organic ri- red wine every day can give you clearer, younger skin thanks to the high levels of antioxidants. Wine can help protect your skin against the damage caused by free radicals blah, blah, blah. Essentially, this is just a, a way to talk about Brad Pitt's new Le Domain skincare, which is infused with active ingredients, GSM10 and ProGR3. Uh, this is not the first time that wine extracts and some of the wine raw materials or, or recycled materials are being used for skincare. In fact, I'm a huge codaly fan. I don't know <gasps> if you've ever used... I was yes. just about to say that. I love yes. that. Yes, yes, yes. I will say Cotally is significantly less expensive than what Brad Pitt is peddling. I think it's like almost $300 for the serum. Wow. And listen, I'm happy to try anything. So if the folks out there at La Domaine... Want to send Vanessa and I a little care package? You're welcome to do so. We'll provide you addresses mm-hmm. and anything else you need. We'll even talk about it on here if you want. But I I am super curious, uh, and it seems like more and more wineries are kind of getting into this like lifestyle regime. Like how to with, I think the other thing is like how to how to make use of some of the byproduct of winemaking, which is kind of cool.
1: There's also um kind of a big movement among especially younger consumers um not to not drink at all. And, you know, so I don't know, I'm just thinking this through. Like, I wonder if there isn't, um, sort of a marketing push to be like, no, like come into our world. It's healthy. You, you can look (laughs) beautiful. All
0: right. Well, at this point, I think what I need to do is remind you all that if you're enjoying this podcast and you are drinking with us or not drinking with us, we would so appreciate you liking and subscribing and even reviewing it, it would mean the world to us. Leave us a little review. Doesn't have to be long, but you know, a review, preferably the five star kind, super, super helpful. And we read these reviews, and we're, we're so grateful that you guys take the time to do it. So this week's review is from Jay Moneyo, who said this podcast has quickly become my favorite to listen to. Amanda and Vanessa are funny, knowledgeable, and seem very down to earth. True that's really nice. Thank you. (laughs) They share great information. And I learn something new every episode. That is the goal. So that's good to hear. The guests have all been great as well. My wife and I just joined the Wine Access Club. Yay! And are excited to drink along with you. Thanks for so many great shows. Oh, so great to hear. Really appreciate it. Um, Thanks for the kind words. And thanks for joining in on the fun... With the wine club, we're having so much fun doing it. And if you are not a part of the wine club, well, we have a wine club associated with this podcast in which we send you one of the bottles from every episode. It's wonderful. Vanessa and I select the wines. We have a lot of fun. We drink Mm -hmm. them on the show. And we love seeing some of the Instagrams and the reviews that you guys are leaving about how much you guys are enjoying drinking along with us because ultimately that's the goal. We just want you guys to hang out with us and drink, which is super fun. We're going to head right into this episode. So grab your wines if you're drinking with us, and we'll see you in one second. All right. Well, hopefully, everyone has their wines. You're drinking with us because today is all about tasting and assessing wines. I'm sure both of you have very formulaic or maybe semi formulaic ways of doing this. But before I jump into how we actually do that, I want to talk about these wines because we're not tasting them blind today, you guys will know what they are. And we're going to kind of take you through them, how we would assess them, how we would rate them, what we would be looking for in particular. And then of course, if we were blind tasting them, what some of those call outs are that we'd be looking for. So we've got two wines uh, on this episode. The first is the 2018 Smith Madrone Riesling from Spring Mountain. I think all three of us are fans of Smith Madrone. Um, Vanessa, you want to talk a little bit about this wine? So Smith Madrone is founded in the 1970s, I think 1971 by Stuart Smith.
1: So Smith and then Madrone is actually the name of a the, a type of tree that's on the property. Spring Mountain is an AVA. It's on the western side of Napa Valley, and it's really characterized by elevation. So most of the vineyards are, I think, between like 1,300 and 2,000 feet in elevation, which kind of lifts this out of the sort of warmer air that can settle in the valley, on the valley floor. But this is really cool wine because less than 1% of all of Spring Mountain is planted to Riesling.
0: But it used to have like a, a bigger, you know, it used to be actually a fairly widely planted grape in Napa Valley. It's just sort of gone by the wayside in favor of other varieties like Cabernet, right?
1: Well, it's, I think it's all about money, right? Because people can charge higher (laughs) bottle prices for Cabernet than they can for Riesling. So, so yeah. So when you think about it like that, especially, you know, to, to continue to make a wine like this, you know, really shows their love and their devotion for this variety, because yeah, for sure they could, they could probably plant those acreage to Cabernet and, you know, make a little bit more bank, but, um, but it's beautiful. And I, I think for anyone who's, you know, tasting at home or, wondering this is a dry Riesling. So I think, you know, a lot of times we think about Rieslings being sweet, but this this is not. I'm a huge fan. I mean, sir, what what do you think about the Smith and Joan Riesling?
2: It's delicious. I was telling Amanda a little bit earlier or last week, I think it was, um, that I haven't tasted it in a few years. And gosh darn it, it's delicious. Uh clean, refreshing, bright, crisp, you know, it's got a little more focus than I think I remember maybe I was drinking some of the older vintages last time. Uh but even here with four years of vintage age, it's just – it's lively and it's vibrant and it's 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 everything that, you know, I'd want in like a really crisp, you know, domestic, you know, Riesling.
0: I think they do have like from year to year it may have a little bit of residual sugar here and there just for, mm-hmm. for balance. It kind of varies year to year. But you don't feel it and I think that's the important no. part. And as we talk about these wines later when we actually start assessing them, I would love for us to kind of talk about sweetness in wines like this. I specifically chose Riesling because I I think Riesling is such a great grape to start with when you're tasting. It gives you so much aromatically. There's something really unique about it, and from you know it's obviously Sambate, right? Like name me a psalm that doesn't love Riesling, right? So we, we're we all always happy to have a little Riesling in our glass. The second wine, I actually would love Sir to talk about this one yes. because if you don't know anything about Sir, the one thing you need to know is he is truly obsessed with Italian wine and specifically yep. Barolo in a way that I think no one will ever come close to. So we've got the 2018 Aldo Conterno Barolo. And in fact, when I asked Sir what, I, what he thought the second wine should be, I text Vanessa and I was like, he's gonna say Barolo, right? And she was like, Yeah. Yep. And he was like, Elda can turn a Barolo. Great, we win. So, sir, I'm gonna let you talk a little bit about this Barolo, why you chose it and what's going on with it.
2: I think it's absolutely stunning. It's rich and there's I mean, I've had mine in a decanter now since uh probably around eight AM and just cause I knew it was gonna gain a little bit more clarity and it was gonna kind of shed some of its kind of you know, it was a little bit kind of like me when I woke up this morning, a little bit groggy. It's kind of like waiting to kind of come together <laughs> and kind of like, you know, be a little more crisp and sharp. And and it really is in the class uh, doing that so much, so very nicely. Just beautiful little vineyard, not little vineyard at all, actually. It's a fairly large vineyard uh, within Montforte. And the Conterno folks, they actually live right there in the middle of... This uh, vineyard site in this little huh. kind of little cottage, like little farm cottage called Ifavot. And uh, they make a bottling called Ifavot. And uh, it's their kind of like their declassified Lange Nebbiola wines, which is absolutely stunning for right around forty-five. It's one 50 of my bucks. favorite
0: wines from Wine Access. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: you're such a great value
0: because we're dealing with an Italian wine which is a, a European label, I think it's really important to talk about that label and talk about the region a little bit I think a lot of you are probably familiar with like you know how American wines are labeled which you know it's kind of basically any way you want right there's a few laws here and there and you know in terms of uh, stating the variety on the label and stating the region but it's a little bit more specific and a little bit more complicated when it comes to Italian wines in particular in fact I think some people are very intimidated I know for myself, I was very intimidated by Italian labels because there's a lot of information on there. But I think it's important to talk a little bit about this label and and what information it actually gives us on here without even opening the wine.
2: You know, it's funny. So you have, you have a wine bottle here and you have the producer name and then you have the area where it comes from, Barola, right? Mm-hmm. And on here, you also have something that says Busia. And without even telling you, the Italians are like saying, hey, here's all this information. But... We're not really telling you that much about it. You kind of have to decipher. You have to kind of be in the know a little bit, uh, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. If you look down a little bit farther, you can see underneath the Aldo Quinterno, it says Monforte di Alba. That's where they're from. That's a little village. There's 11 different villages within Barolo, uh, Monforte being one of the most prominent. And, you know, they're not even telling you that the grape varietal here is 100% Nebbiolo. They're telling you the vintage. They're telling you who they are, the producer, which... In most European labels, you'll see that the producer name is pretty prominent as, you know, as says Poderi Aldo Quintero, and his sons are now, you know, taking over this for Aldo. It's not saying, hey, this is the grape, you know, or anything like that. You kind of just kind of have to know, hey, I'm, I'm in Barolo, I'm, I'm drinking Nebbiolo. And there's no real easy way around that other than the fact that everybody has Google at their fingertips at this point. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so, you Just know that if you love Barolo or Barbaresco or or many other of the DOCs or DOCGs within uh, Italy, Nebbiolo is the grape that you're enjoying.
1: Learning about wine, it is kind of annoying at first sometimes with, you know, European wine regions where you do have to just do a little legwork. But then once you know it, you know it. Yeah. You know,
0: so it's really it's a fun pursuit. I always recommend just sort of focusing in on a region, you know, even a grape within a particular region to start to get to know it, get to know everything about that. And I think Italy, even though it can be really taxing and really overwhelming, is a good place to start because the labeling is very uh, systematic, right? Like there are are clear-cut rules. I think Barolo is a great place to start. I'm sure Sir Sir would agree with that. And then the producer, Aldo Quinterno, I think you mentioned is the son of Giacomo Quinterno, so a very famed producer. And so style-wise also I think we should talk a little bit about what's happening in the region of Barolo you have your more classic producers and you have some more modern producers and so what where would you classify this one and and how what would you say is the difference between like a more classic and more modern producer traditional and more modern producer
2: I would say like the early 2000s like the biggest distinction there was the use of new french oak traditionally these these wines have been in large casks, large large cast like thousand you know you know 1200 liters um, and even larger than that and they'd be fermented in large oak and now they've gotten down into smaller barrels on the modern side of this equation they've gone down into sometimes 225 liter barrels which is what they would use over in Bordeaux and it'd be French oak and it changes the entire composition of uh, nebbiolo sometimes for the better sometimes for the worse if you you know, if you're a traditionalist and you really like, you know, that the texture of Nebbiolo, you know, a smaller barrel is going to have a, what they call a larger oxygen transfer rate, OTR. And what happens there is is you're going to have a larger surface area in a smaller barrel to oxygen because you're going to have a la- smaller volume of wine in contact with the oak. And the oak itself is somewhat breathable. It's going to allow some air in, some air out. I, I mean, it's not always, you know, airtight But, you know, it should be for the most part. But you're talking about faster development when you have a higher oxygen transfer rate of your wine than if it was, say, in stainless steel, where you can control if there's any oxygen coming in. you can put some inert gas over it and it's all sealed and it's all nice and tight. Probably like the smith Madron Riesling was made is my guess.
0: You were talking about traditional versus modern, and I think it's one of those things that's you know I always like to bring it back to like how would a how would someone in a restaurant or someone in a store go about utilizing some of this information? And I think when we're talking about traditional versus modern, that is something that you can you can use when you're talking to the som or talking to the salesperson to say, hey, I really like a more traditional style Barolo, or I like something a little bit more more modern, and that's very translatable for someone in the wine industry. So I just want to point that out. You know, as we're talking. Keep that in the back of your mind. If Rollo is your thing and you want to dive deeper into it, that's a really good way to sort of separate out uh, what you want from what you don't want. I want to talk a little bit about what your methods are for tasting. I think everyone has a different school of thought when we're professionally tasting wine, which we're kind of doing today. What is your thought on tasting a bottle super fresh versus like you pull the cork, you pour the wine versus tasting it after it's been open for, you know, since eight o'clock this morning. Do you think it's better to taste, you know, when it's had some time to open and breathe or where, where's your stance on that?
1: Well, I, I can say for what we do at Wine Access, let's say, because we write all, all of our own tasting notes, mm-hmm. is we we don't like decant the wines or anything first. Like we taste them poured right out of the bottle because we think for the consumer at home, we want to give a really... Truthful experience of what you might have if you just pour it from the bottle, but but we'll also see what happens over time, and often put that in the tasting note. Like over time, this 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 couldn't this happens, or you know, we give you a recommendation for decanting if we think so. But for our tasting purposes, we're we're not leaving them open before we assess them.
0: Sir, when you're going through, you know, you're, obviously you're not tasting the way that you were when you may be studying for the MS exam, but when you were doing that. Were you opening the bottles fresh and tasting them, or were you letting them sit? I'm just curious because I think this is a, an interesting question that I used to get a lot when we were tasting wines, to serve at restaurants. You know, some distributors uh, reps would come in. They're like, "Oh, I decanted this wine last night," and I'm like. Well, that's really nice, like for you, but like I've got guests in the restaurant who are going to be opening this and drinking it within thirty minutes to an hour. So, like, super unhelpful for me to figure out what this wine is going to taste like for them. I'm curious because you know you worked in restaurants, you've gone through the MS program. Where do you kind of stand on that?
2: You hit it right on the head, uh, Amanda. I would not actually consider wines that were open from you know. I mean, I I would allow wines to be open that day, but when wines came in and they were, you know, clearly been open for like a day or two, you could always pick that up with enough experience. And you just really got to understand exactly what your guest is going to get. The authenticity of us sitting down around a judging panel and tasting all these wines right when the corks are being pulled And knowing exactly where they're at and us even tasting wine saying, okay, this is going to be a two-hour open before this wine's really in its spot. And then, you know, we're sitting there tasting, you know, sometimes 50, 60, sometimes 80 wines. Those are long days. And, uh, you know, we go back to wines quite often. The judging panel, we're like, here it is. It's right here. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we knew it was going to happen. So, um, yeah, (laughs) it's really important when you're actually assessing a wine, I think, to have it within that first hour.
0: Well, I want to get into the actual tastings of these wines, and I kind of want to set the stage for everyone at home with what you should be doing. So I don't know how you guys work. I know for me, when I was when I was taught, you know, we have the grid, which of course, as I mentioned, you can pull up so you can kind of taste along with us. Vanessa went through the Master of Wine program. Sir went through the quarter master sommeliers, as did I. They're, they're slightly different in how those wines are assessed. But I think, you know, to start, and I think you would both agree, if you're professionally assessing wines in that manner, grab a white sheet of paper because you're going to want to examine these glasses over something that, you know, is easy to see the color. Also, stem wise, I think I should point out the fact that I am <laughs> drinking out of Vanessa's favorite water glass right now. <laughs> As she's mentioned on previous episodes, this is unintentional as uh, so I've got a stemless I've got a stemless wine glass. If that's what you have at home that's totally fine. fine. But for the purposes of what we're doing, I uh, highly recommend getting wine glasses with an actual stem you know, for all the reasons that we've mentioned before, right, you're going to warm up the glass with your hand, which is going to affect how it tastes. You also kind of want to be able to see it. You want to be able to swirl it. And so your hands kind of get in the way. So make sure you have a a glass with the stem if you can. What are your preferred wine glasses to taste out of? I always like to taste out of all purpose Mm -hmm. wine glasses to kind of eliminate a variable. Are you kind of in that same, same vein?
1: I taste out of an all-purpose glass when assessing wine, if you're watching it uh, at home. So this, th- these are the glasses that I used for the MW exam. Fun fact, you have to bring your own glasses to the MW exam. And this is what I use for, for all wines. So you know we're tasting sparkling wines, sweet wines, fortified wines, all types of still wines. But I just use this same glass and it's the same glass I use if I'm tasting at home now.
2: I mean, I'm not really blind tasting, but I do use the exact same glass. Usually, an all-purpose glass when I'm blind tasting wines. But I have myself uh, a Burgundy glass that I use for Nebbiolo, um, nice. and then I have myself a little white wine glass here uh, to Zalto or no to Sophia yeah. Sophia Wald um, for the Riesling. Mm. And just I like I it love those like glasses.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I like this
2: shape. It's it kind great. of just like really kind of. Compacts the aromatics and makes the riesling smell a little bit more focused uh, for me, and then Mm -hmm. this uh, kind of allows the volume of that Nebbiolo, some a lot of times has, kind of stretch out, if you will, do a little bit yoga and kind of (laughs) be more ethereal and kind of lift out of the glass.
0: Yeah. So Sir has the glasses that you would uh, you utilize if you are just enjoying these wines at home or in a restaurant. Right. Vanessa has the glass that you would use if you were professionally assessing, which is the white wine glass or the all-purpose glass, which is a very simple glass. Mm-hmm. We've got these episodes on YouTube, so feel free to reference those uh, and then also check out our Instagram if you want to see what those look like in action. So we've got your glassware, you've got your white paper. Spittoons, where are we on the spitting of the wines while you're tasting?
1: I mean, I'm not spitting this morning, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but yes, of course, I mean, for when we're assessing wines, you know, either, you know, for wine access or certainly when studying, we would spit everything. I mean, maybe if it was like really delicious, I might have a little sip, but no, no, no. I mean, obviously you're (laughs) you're taking an exam. You need to have your wits about you, especially the number of wines that you're tasting. So we, you know, professionally, we, we spit the wines out for assessment.
0: You know, I I have to give a shout out to Lara Koffer, who is our associate producer on this podcast and also does an amazing job at Wine Access. She's the best. She actually mentioned something about spitting. She said... Anecdotally, I've heard that spitting helps you remember flavors because it forces your brain to pay attention. Hmm. As our ancestors ate and spit poison berries, we evolved to remember things that we didn't want to swallow. She said, I can't find anything to back up this claim, but I think it's a really interesting point and one that I'd be like, even if you didn't have any factual information, that makes sense to me. So you know, I think when you're professionally tasting wines spitting is obviously encouraged so that you remember what you're actually tasting from like a don't get drunk standpoint. Mm-hmm. So let's pretend that we are in an exam. I, I hate to like give you guys a little PTSD, but like for the purposes of <laughs> <laughs> both of your faces were like, Oh God, no, not again.
2: It's just a different mode.
0: It's different mode. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So if you, and if you've never seen this being done, it's totally worth giving the movie Sam watch so you can see it in action. It's, you know, for the MS exam, it's six wines. You've got what, 25 minutes to go through, all of them and deduce what they are via this grid. Vanessa, how many wines did you have to taste for your exam? I know it's a little different.
1: Uh, We taste 36. Oh, Um, it's more. (laughs) Over the course of three days. So we do three flights.
0: If we're just starting with the the three tiers of the grid, you've got sight, smell, and taste. So if you're starting to look at at the wine eye placement, is there a particular place that you like to look initially when you are tasting wine?
2: I look to the center of the glass and then I look to the outer rim of the glass and then I kind of just take like a, a top view and I you know kind of look and see if there's any kind of variations. When I look at sight, you know, sight is just it's giving me some clues literally sometimes into age and to the concentration of grape and you know with with the white wine it's usually telling me age if it's darker a lot of times it's going to be a little bit older. With red wines it usually tells me, you know, some clues it tells me lots of different clues i mean with with the grid that i have right here in front of me this is actually it's very kind of closely based off of the ms exam this is something that i put together myself when you get to the master level you kind of really you learn how to master this on your own you don't really usually take anybody else's you take everything from everybody else, but then you synthesize it into what is your own. Mm-hmm. And so this is mine. And so, I mean, even here, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine different boxes just in sight. And it, you're supposed to spend about 15 seconds on it. It's brightness, clarity, color, concentration, gas, sediment, rim variation of viscosity right but
0: I like how you just rattled those off you're like I know
2: (laughs) but but only maybe like you know maybe five or six will apply to each wine you know or maybe all of them will apply to each wine you know I highly doubt that there's going to be any gas inside of this nebbiolo or any nebbiolo that I taste or I'm going to go and call it faulty at least in terms of what's traditional for nebbiolo Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah I, I don't spend usually too much time on site especially I think as a beginner
0: because it doesn't really tell you much in terms of quality, right? Like, if you're looking at the wine uh, in this systemat- systematic approach that we're taking, the only thing that's really helpful for is deducing what the wine is if you don't know what it is. It can't really tell you much yes, other than that, exactly. right? So when you've got the site grid, you've got, uh, you've got clarity, concentration, the color of the wines, some of the colors that you might find in a white wine. And so let's go, let's grab our smith Majoran, Riesling and kind of assess the color of this wine. So you've got for colors on white wines, silver, green, and copper are your secondaries. But what you're looking for is water white, straw, yellow, and gold. Where would you put this?
2: This is in a kind of a pale gold kind of color it's like a light gold if you will it's it's it's, it's on the deeper yellow side but it's not, it's not browny by any means
0: clarity is clear, Absolutely clear. right there's yeah, yeah. there's nothing crystal. in here yep crystal clear concentration where would you put this guy pale medium deep
2: it's medium pale gold pale medium gold i would say
0: If you were blind tasting this, what would those three things tell you about the wine?
2: Okay. So I would say that it's not going to be something like a very, very young, young white wine from a cold region. Generally, those wines are meant to be, they don't really see very much air. Um, A lot of times when a wine starts out its life, you know, with like a gold color, that means that it's been exposed to some kind of oxygen. It could be um, in the use of some kind of neutral barrel or some kind of new barrel,
0: you know, when we're looking at this wine, it obviously looks very beautiful. looks very delicious. So let's start smelling this wine. Vanessa, how do you like to smell? Do you like, I I was always taught to like smell on the sign of a cross. Do you have a method for how you like to smell your wines? So I do. Well, obviously always swirl. I always swirl the glass, but I think Sir and I, we have a slightly different
1: way that we do this, but I think it's sort of similar, which is that I kind of breathe first through my nose and then I open my mouth and and inhale there too. So, Mm. and I didn't actually like learn this from, I I actually noticed later as I was tasting, I was like, oh, I didn't even know I was doing that. Sir does something similar, but it's actually much more entertaining.
0: Uh, (laughs) Do tell, sir. I
2: I do actually get, uh, I get teased, (laughs) I guess. Teased is probably a more, uh, I guess, appropriate way of saying this. But um, I, I start with my mouth and my jaw kind of opening, almost like a fish, like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm smelling the wine in as I'm opening and closing my jaw, which almost like um, almost like a bellow on a fire. Okay. It it draws air in and then pushes it out, pulls air in, pushes it out. You're just using your jaw muscles. I mean, you 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 could be not breathing, holding your breath, and opening and closing your jaw. And you can feel the air going in and out of the back of like your retronasal, way back here in the back of your throat. And that's where you're gonna have the most sensitive. I guess, aromatic receptors in your body. So I'm utilizing just jaw muscles, which, you know, I'm used to, you know, everyone's used to eating. So it's like second nature. I'm smelling while I'm actually bringing those aromatics in through my nose and pushing them out through my mouth, in and out, in and out. And I'm getting a, a, just a really kind of clear kind of picture of what the wine is doing.
0: Yeah, if you're not watching this on YouTube right now, like you're missing out because this is fascinating to watch. And I'm I'm not making fun of you. I think it's I think people that have found a way, something that works for them, that is theirs, that you can use time and time. That's a that's a brilliant thing to see in life. If you're starting out and you're you're just wanting to get a sense for like what all this is. The thing that I would encourage you to do is get comfortable sticking your nose in the glass. Believe it or not, that is like the hardest thing for people to get comfortable with because it feels weird. I would say I think the thing that people are equally uncomfortable with
1: is actually like swishing the wine around, actually. So I think maybe putting your nose in the glass. But I think that's kind of the, the bigger one where, you know, I do when i if i lead tastings or i do videos you know for our wine clubs and stuff if you watch those you're probably sick of hearing me say that but i'll always say like really like <laughs> so like let it touch every corner of your palate you know like really sit with it swish it around because if you're just like down the hatch i mean you're getting 10% of what that wine has to offer
0: We've talked about the technique of smelling, but what is it that we're actually smelling for? If you look at the grid, you'll notice, is this wine sound? You know, we're looking for wine faults, including TCA. You know, th- this is what we colloquially call a wine as being corked. That doesn't mean that there's cork in the wine. TCA is actually what we're talking about. What are some of your tip-offs for TCA? TCA.
1: Like wet cardboard, I think, is the way yeah. that that you can think about it. And different people have different sensitivities to it as well. Sometimes, you know, you open a bottle and one person say, I don't think it's corked. And you'll have other people at the table saying, this is definitely corked, you know. So yeah. I will say a trick, though, if you're not sure, because sometimes I'm, sh- I'm sure, sir, this happens to you too. You're like, ah, I'm not quite sure. But if you leave it in the glass, like put it aside and come back to it after a little, and it, it will definitely show more TCA over time, if you're not sure. Yeah, it doesn't,
0: it doesn't get better with time. That's no. not one of those things that you're like, <laughs> let me just see if it improves. Like, it will not improve. It will only continue to worsen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I used to love people like, well, just decant it. It'll be fine. I'm like, yeah. no, that's no. the opposite of what you want to do. It's a completely innocuous thing. I mean, it, it's what is it? Like one in a hundred bottles uh, are, are infected with TCA. So wet dog, wet cardboard, wet newspaper, that kind of grandma's basement. Anytime you get those things, that's usually a good clue that the wine is probably not sound, that it might have some TCA. Uh, at that point, we've talked about this in other episodes before. At that point, what you want to do is take that cork, put it back in the wine and take it to where you got it and say, this wine is corked. They will give you a credit for that bottle or give you a new bottle. If it's from Wine Access, same deal, call them up, let them know it's corked. There's nothing wrong with the wine itself. It's not a bad producer necessarily. Sometimes you have rare examples in which wineries can have a bad run of corks or something like that, but uh, it has nothing to do with bad winemaking or anything like that. It has everything to do with the cork. Britannomyces or what we affectionately refer to as brett. This is another one where some people are really sensitive and some people are not sensitive. Some people like it. This is kind of like a friendly fault, Yeast is obviously super
1: important in winemaking. It's what turns sugar into alcohol. You know, so fermentation for anyone at home, you know, is yeast consume the sugars in the grapes and the byproducts are alcohol and CO2. That's Saccharomyces. But Britannomyces is another strain of yeast, but it's a spoilage yeast, essentially. So it's can live in wineries it can live in barrels it's not going to hurt you it's not dangerous you know but at high levels it can impact your enjoyment of the wine and at very high levels it's just it's you know it, it can it can really ruin your enjoyment of a wine but you can pick it up in some things i think sir said like horse blanket you get kind of in some cases like a almost a medicinal note to it like uh over in the uk they call it sticking plaster which i didn't understand at first but they mean like a band-aid heard of that yeah, I was okay. like, "What is sticking?" I was picturing like oh, ba- okay. walls. Yeah, but no, like a band aid. I actually like have a healthy love for it at appropriate levels. I think it can actually add complexity to the wine. Now, there are some winemakers who'd be like, "Absolutely not! That I would never allow a bread. But in some cases, it's maybe you know a very traditional winemaker, it's an older winemaker, or just stylistically, it can actually be part of the part of the pleasure of it.
0: So those are just two examples of some faults. Uh, you've also got like oxidation, volatile acidity, or VA, EA, those are, you know, your shoe polish kind of spells often found in Italian wines. As we smell, what are the first things that you're looking for? Is it different types of fruits? Is it spices? Is it the variability of that fruit? Or like, you know, is that fruit cooked? Is it more on the unripe side? What are some of the the things that you guys are looking for in your smelling?
2: I don't really go into trying to smell specific descriptors. I try and get an overall picture of the energy of a wine, of whether this wine feels like it was sunbaked or if it's almost ripe, just about ripe, perfectly ripe, hyper-ripe, and then like raisinated. I'm always looking for that energy of a wine. Is it showing me that it's youthful? Is it showing me that it's not? Is it showing me lots of energy? Is it showing me a little bit more relaxed?
0: one of the things I hear a lot from from people who just wine lovers uh, or people just trying to get in is like, I don't want to say out loud something that's wrong. I don't want to use the wrong descriptors and, you know, use the word energy. You've used a lot of words that I think most people would, you know, to some degree understand or or could sign up, sort of make the equation from. And when I pick up a glass to your point, I'm not always looking for specific descriptors. In fact, I'm just kind of getting a sense for how it's smelling, like what it's telling me. I'm not necessarily looking for specifics unless we were in a blind tasting setting. Vanessa, I'd love for you to take on the reasoning and just kind of give me a little rundown of what it is you're smelling in this glass. If I was assessing this
1: for the exam, right, I'm trying to kind of notice as many things as possible at once. So I'm kind of looking for... Is the fruit, to your point, fresh or dried in this? I'm getting more f- fresh fruit, which can, which can tell you the age of it. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to determine, like, is this wine new world or old world? Sometimes the old world, I would get more dried fruit notes than, than new, even if it was a fairly youthful wine. But on this, I'm I'm still getting kind of pretty fresh fruit. I get a lot of citrus. I get kind of like a little bit of that sort of petrolly note that you can get on Riesling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, there's a very floral note to this, like a white flower note and almost like a chamomile tea.
0: Let's talk about Barolo because I know, sir, I can feel you wanting to wax poetic about it. So let's talk about the nose and the Barolo.
2: There, there's there's so many different things to talk about when you, when you talk about the aromatics of Nebbiolo. And for me, there's always this kind of masculine sophistication. And sometimes like the great ones, at some point in their life, they begin to also show these really beautiful feminine tones. Uh, you know, the soft kind of like sweet rose kind of perfume with the darker, riper kind of cherry that I'm picking up off of this wine right now and it was decanted three and a half hours ago at this point and it's showing all kinds of like i guess signs that it could sit here in the decanter for well into tonight maybe i'm gonna maybe drink the rest of this later on this evening with dinner because it's there's it's got that structure it's got that acid it's got that tannin and when i'm smelling this it just it's offering me such an array of aromatics that Just, I guess, make me think of like all things that are harmonious between the masculine and feminine sides of wine. I guess if I'm going to go ahead and apply the grid, which I haven't done for quite a while.
0: Yeah, do it.
2: So yeah, the condition of the fruit is just ripe. You know, the fruit aromas, you know, I think there's, there's some dried tart fruit, like some, there's some tart red cherry, and there's also some ripe, dark black cherry. There's some cranberry. There's some red plum. Secondary aromatics, I think, is where this wine's on full display. When we, mm. I think there's already that kind of like sweet cigar, cigar tobacco. It's tan tobacco, and it's also Colorado or Maduro tobacco, where it gets a little bit darker and a little bit sweeter. There's some kind of more new leather kind of like profile on the wine. There's plenty of rose petal, almost like the rose petal is kind of like mortar and pestle. There's a ripeness, there's a sweetness to the nose of the fruit.
0: Approaches to tasting. I was taught to to sip in threes. What about you guys? How do you approach tasting? Is it first sip, second sip, third sip? What's the deal?
1: I usually do one and maybe a second for backup just in case. I mean, if I was tasting for the exam. Cause I try not to second guess myself too much. You know, I think the mm-hmm. more you go back to it, the more you try to talk yourself maybe into it being something else. And so listen, really listening to the first impression. So no, I just really do like one, but we talked on this about this a little bit earlier, swish. but I really swish it around. Like you know, almost like it's mouthwash, you know, yeah. of course in a professional setting or for the exam, we'd spit it out. And then I sit for a moment and I sort of make my brain turn off in terms of trying to think of descriptors for the flavors. And I just pay attention to what I'm feeling, mm. to the structure of the wine. So I pay attention to like how aggressively is my mouth watering and you know, looking for the acid, looking for the body, looking for the weight. All the flavors are supporting evidence. All the real evidence for deciphering what the wine is, is structural for me.
2: I usually just drop the wine on my palate and then I let it go around my, my palate. I don't really do too much swishing like inside of my mouth like a lot of people do. I'm really paying attention to how the, the clues that my mouth, the impression that it's giving on my tongue. And because I've done this so many thousands of times, it's, you, you know, how people talk about how they go through life experiences and they're actually watching themselves have this experience. Mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of halfway in between that state and I'm not really looking at the glass. I'm kind of like somewhere in kind of blah land and I'm allowing the wine itself to start almost on an XY axis start giving me colors and start giving me shapes. And the way that this happened, and you can only do this if you've done this hundreds of thousands of times. Yeah. I don't believe that anybody at home is going to all of a sudden pick up a wine and start immediately doing this because it's what I've developed and it works for me.
0: Some of the practices are can be a little bit daunting, but I also think in some ways it gives a lot of people permission to just kind of play around with, with it, right? Like find your own way, you know, that we have this grid in front of us, utilize it if you want, but also don't be afraid to just like sit there as Vanessa said and just like, Be with the wine. Let it let it come to you. Don't, you know, don't try to pick out specific things. Just structurally, I just kinda wanna highlight a couple of things. We talked about acid. Vanessa, in what way do you I mean, you mentioned like different wines will give you different acidity, but when we're talking about like generically when we're feeling acid, you know, I feel that kind of up and down my jawline. It's, you know, how much I'm salivating is sort of a measure of that. Are you kind of in the same camp? Totally. It's
1: yeah. Like how aggressively I feel, I feel the saliva kind of down the sides of my cheeks here. And for people starting out, if you're not able to, sometimes you like tip your head forward and you can actually sort of feel your saliva, like pulling to the front of your mouth. <laughs> but yeah, that, and I, you know, I had a, a friend who was also studying for the MW and she, she would say rather than, I just notice I'm a, just a very like straightforward taster. Like how aggressively is my mouth walking watering? How fast is it watering? Yeah. But she would have this like double spit. And so she's like, if I have to like spit twice, cause like I spit the wine out and I'm still salivating mm. and then I have to spit again. That was like her calibration for, for high acidity.
0: What about sweetness? How do you, how do you look for sweetness in a wine?
2: Sweetness is something that will slightly linger about 10 seconds afterwards. And it's you know, you're gonna get the salivation and the acid's gonna kind of slightly counterbalance that. There's a difference between ripeness in wines and the ripeness of the fruit and whether the wine is actually fermented dry, as we're talking about the yeast completely consuming all the sugar that was available inside that must or the grape juice and creating the wine going going dry. So
1: it's interesting that you find sweetness later. I usually find it first. It's almost like I taste it like right here at like the front of my palate. And then it does it does linger for sure, but yeah, this is what's cool about it, right, Amanda? Like everyone is yeah. a little yeah. bit. You can get They're there many different. different ways.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sweet, you know, and I think sweetness sometimes can be perceived as a bad word, right? Mm-hmm. Some people think of a sweet wine, and this is by no means a sweet wine, as as you said, This is a commercially dry wine. We would not label this as a sweet wine. This is a, with two grams of residual sugar, whatever we think it is, but it is there to balance. And if you think of, you know, the acidity and reason can be quite high, even though this is from a, you know, a warmer place in Napa Valley, a cooler appellation that gets a little bit more rain, the acidity is still quite high in this. And so the sweetness, if it is there, is just there to support. It's there to balance. Tannin is kind of the last thing I want to talk about on the structure side of things. I think this is a word that, according to my videos on TikTok, it gets a little bit confused so we're gonna just we're gonna define it really quick. So tannin, it is something that you feel. I mean, some people talk about tasting tannins, but you know, I think of it in terms of that dryness that happens in your mouth. So, like if you were to take cotton balls and stick them in, and it would completely absorb all of the moisture, that sort of like tacky feeling, that kind of in your mouth, those are the tannins at play. And so those are happening for a few different reasons. And some people were like really high tannin wines, some people like really low tannin wines. Sir, where would you put the tannic structure or the tannin level? of this Barola that we have here? Because Nebbiolo can be quite high in tannin sometimes.
2: Yeah, I think this is probably about moderate plus. Um, I don't quite feel the high tannins. Uh, Aldo Conterno or the Conterno label at this point, is they do an excellent job of balancing that out. And the tannins are ripe.
0: Uh, a few takeaways for you guys at home, you know what can you do to become a better taster? I think Laura put this together just a, a few in quotes, things to remember, and keep tabs of the structure. so few being an acronym for fruit, earth, and wood. and you know, we talked about different types of fruit, earthiness, you know those are some of the things some of those tasting components and and wood. those are all things that you should be looking for and then and then tabs is your structure, so that tannin acid. Body sweetness, all the things that we just touched on here, and then last, you know, the other thing that you can do at home, there is a great video on the Wine Access YouTube channel. This is the Blicka video, Vanessa. This is this is your baby, right? You you, you're the Blicka queen.
1: Well, I I use this, so I didn't invent Blicka. Blicka is something I learned when I was in the Wine and Spirits Education Trust, and then Jonathan Cristaldi, he used to be our editor, wrote the script for this Blicka video. But the Blicka video, which is really fun, it's very tongue in cheek. <laughs> it's to explain how to assess quality in wine. So Blicka is an acronym for balance, length, intensity, concentration, complexity, and ageability balance is like, are all those like structural components working together? Is there one thing that's just kind of jutting out, you know, that doesn't fit into the overall like harmony of the wine? Length is the same thing as finish. So if you pay attention to like how long are you actually enjoying the flavors and the feeling on your palate of the wine after you've either spit it out or consumed it, you know, a great wine should have a long finish and an outstanding wine might have a finish where you're discovering new things about the wine that you hadn't even noticed before. Intensity doesn't mean it, all wines have to be intense to be good. It can be very light bodied. It can be quietly intense, you know, like, uh, or it can be sort of loud and bombastic, but you should notice the wine. You shouldn't have to really work to figure out what the personality of that wine is concentration. Similarly, it doesn't mean that all wines have to be super concentrated to be high quality, but it's, it can be almost like, you know, a a lace glove, you know, is, is a sort of, you know, a very delicate, or it can be very powerful, like iron fist, but they, they can both indicate quality. Complexity is really easy. It's like, how many things can I think of to talk about this? Like, you know, am I naming one thing? Can I say, well, get like cherries, you know, or is it like cherries, tar, (laughs) leather, rose petal, you know, cedar and, the more you have to say about the wine um, on the nose or the palate, that's complexity. And then all of those things add up to the A of blicca, which is ageability. So I kind of think of those like if I have the majority of B-L-I-C-C checked off on my kind of mental list, then I think, okay, this is a wine that could age and potentially improve with age. If I only have maybe mm. one or two of those things probably not a wine that's going to improve or that you want to lay down for a long time. Doesn't mean it's not a delicious, enjoyable wine, you know, because keep in mind most wine of the world. I mean, we live in Napa Valley, Amanda and Sarah, where, you know, obviously it's a very high quality luxury kind of wine region, but most wines in the world are not actually meant to be put down in your cellar. They're, you know, they're meant to be consumed kind of early and fresh and young. So you can certainly drink and enjoy wines that don't check all those boxes. But that's, that's the kind of little cliff note version of, of quality assessment in wine.
0: Well put. And and I think super helpful for people at home to just sort of condense all this information to figure out whether this, you know, the wine that you're drinking is of quality. Of course, if you're buying from Wine Access, you never have to worry about it because I'm sure as you've probably gathered by this point, Vanessa and Sir, they're on the wine team at Wine Access, which means they are tasting every bottle that comes through their door. And it is going through this long assessment that you guys just heard. It's it's conversation, it's assessment, it's going through wine by wine to see if it's worthy of being being put on the site and offered to you guys at home. So really fun to get an inside look at what you guys are doing within the company. Very impressive also, I must add. Both of you obviously have a wealth of knowledge and experience under your belts. I can't thank you enough for sharing it. I think the other thing that I want to mention, because I did hint at it earlier, if you are struggling to, to put those words that you're smelling to your mouth, Uh, one of the things that you can do is, it's literally, to me, it's just like, it's muscle memory, it's flashcard memory. Go to your farmer's market, look at recipes, start just paying attention to the daily things that you're smelling and tasting throughout your everyday life. That's the way you do it. Say it out loud. You know, I'll often find myself in places like smelling different fruits and saying it out loud and just, you know, listening to maybe what's around me so that I can have, you know, a multi-sensory experience while I'm smelling something so that it kind of stays in my brain. But it really just, you know, it takes time. Your palate's not broken. Your nose isn't broken. We just don't naturally have that link. So as you start to go through this journey for yourself, be more conscious about it. Make that link. Start to make those correlations for yourself. I think a fun word that we didn't mention today that I didn't know that that Laura did, maybe you guys know the official word for swishing it around your mouth, gargling, and spit. Do you know what that word for it? Or that that sucking in of air when you're making that duck face, you know what it's actually called? What is it? There's a word for it. What is it? I didn't know what it was either. Duck face? It's called grumage. G-R-U-M-A-G. I had no idea. Hmm. That's the, that's crumash. Wow. So that's your word of the day. You guys, if you, if you're not inspired to drink with (laughs) us on these episodes now, I don't know what else to tell you. (laughs) Join the Wine Access Wine, the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast Wine Club. We'll be doing more stuff like this. I really hope you enjoy today's episode and thank you again for the suggestion. More of those are always welcome as well as reviews and likes and comments, uh, whether it's on YouTube or on the actual podcast itself. So the both of you, thank you for being here. Sir, yeah. what a wealth of knowledge you and, enter, and entertainment that you brought for us today. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank I you, hope Amanda. You had fun.
2: It was a ton of fun, actually. <laughs> I, it's topics I haven't talked about in a long time, so it's a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> I'm Vanessa. As always, I appreciate you being oh, here. It. This is the Wine Access Unfiltered podcast. We are hosts Vanessa Conlon and Amanda McCrossin, and thank you once again to our associate producer Laura Koffer, for all the work that you did to help us put all this information together. We'll see y'all soon. Cheers!
2: Cheers.